you have your Bibles, um, or phones, I suppose, uh, you can turn to 1 Kings, and we are in chapter 19. And, I, and while you're, you're turning there, um, I don't know why, but it did strike me that, uh, given that this is a 4th of July weekend, um, you know, there's a, a certain affection, I think, that is appropriate uh, for Christian believers, I think for all people, but Christian believers, um, certainly, to have for their, their country and for their nation. Um, there's a lot of, uh, well, there's just a lot of turmoil um, in the nation right now. Um, but I think this flows, this, why should we have an affection? Uh, why should we seek to honor our nation? I think, in part, it flows out of um, the fifth commandment. Okay, so what's, what's the fifth commandment? The fifth commandment is to honor your father and your mother. And there's a certain degree in which, um, you know, our, our nation, which we are raised in, um, well, those who have gone before us were our fathers and our mothers. And just with our fathers and mothers, we are called to honor them full well knowing that they were far less than perfect, right? <laughs> now, we don't celebrate where they failed. Um, we we uh, want to correct that, to be sure. But, but there's nevertheless a... It is right and good to have affection for your parents, to show honor for them, even well knowing um, that they were, were not perfect. And, and here's the, the other side of that coin. Neither are we. <laughs> Neither are we. Um, and so it's good to, to um, demonstrate honor and, and uh, respect for, for the, the good that our nation has accomplished at the same time wanting to correct things uh, that need to be corrected and to seek justice. As we return to 1 Kings and the continuing saga of the ministry of the prophet Elijah, we need to be reminded that Elijah is ministering in a very dark period in Israel's history. The government has not only openly and actively embraced the idolatry of the time, that is, they are just full-throated worshipers of the sky god Baal, not only are they embracing this worship, but they are also, uh, alongside that, actively demonstrating hostility to the true worship of God, to the true worshipers of God. And so this is also a time of hostility and persecution for those who are worshiping uh, the true God. And that means that Elijah's, uh, and, and today we're going to see that he is uh, uh, facilitating a call, um, the call of uh, his successor, um, uh, the call of Elisha. Um, but what we see is that, that um, especially with Elijah and, and somewhat true, well, still true with Elisha, um, they're ministering in very difficult cultural times. And, and, and so this is good for us to come to these, these narratives and these stories. And as we look at the calling of Elisha, it's, we need to remember the context of all this, that Elijah has just been on Mount Sinai. He has appeared before the glorious presence of God. And he's leveled this, this covenant lawsuit against the nation of Israel uh, for their failure to keep the covenant of God, and beyond that, to actively, uh, uh, intentionally, high-handedly break God's covenant. 
The result of that covenant lawsuit, those prayers and the presence of God at Mount Sinai um, is God's response. And it is largely a response of judgment. It's not a, it's a limited judgment. It's not, um, God is not saying this is going to be the end of the nation of Israel. He's not calling for the destruction of Israel or its, you know, its exile. Um, but nevertheless, it is a judgment. It's a somewhat targeted judgment. And, and the means of this judgment is going to come through these three individuals, um, through um, uh, Hazael, he's a Syrian to the north, Jehu, whose specific task will be to wipe out uh, just the apostate administration um, of Ahab and Jezebel, and he will become the next king. And then there is Elisha. He's the third uh, uh, man in, in this triumvirate. Um, he, he's the third piece to this puzzle, and perhaps even the most important piece of what God is going to do in response to the apostasy of the nation. And so, as we come to this calling of Elisha, we just need to understand, this is, this is how God is responding to the nation's apostasy. And the very first thing he's going to do, he's not going to go directly after the government. He's not... Um, there's not, this is not going after a political solution primarily or an educational solution or some kind of um, activism. It's a calling of an individual. It's a calling of an individual to wholeheartedly follow the Lord. And he will be empowered by the Spirit, and he will work wonders um, for the nation. And it will, on the flip side, be a tremendous blessing for the people of God, but it will also be, uh, you know, there's always this quiet judgment wherever the gospel goes forth. There's a, there's a disquieting judgment that we don't see because we're on the other side of that gospel. But we'll come to that. So that's the context. With that, would you stand for the reading of God's holy and inspired word? So 1 Kings 19, 19 through 21. So he, that's Elijah departed from there, from Sinai, and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him, And took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people uh, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Would you bow your heads? Our God, our all-wise King, grant us by your Holy Spirit understanding of your word. What is your message for us today? And as your word is preached, grant that it would serve to nourish us in a spirit so that our faith might grow and our lives might be better lived for the sake of your glorious kingdom. We pray this for the sake of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So the narrative, um, this account picks up with Elijah's departure from Sinai. He travels uh, to some unknown destination, but it's a farm. 
Um, and it's a field. And there, this man, Elisha, apparently a farmer himself, is plowing uh, with, with 12 teams of yoke to oxen. He's manning the 12th team. And it appears that Elijah shows up in the middle of a workday, similar to the call of Jesus to his own 12 disciples. Elijah calls Elisha, and you're going to have to pay attention, those names are similar, right? Elijah calls Elisha to follow him. And the sign of that calling is the clothing of Elisha with the cloak of Elijah. Okay? So the symbol, there's a token of, of this uh, um, desire and willingness to follow the call. And that, that token is being clothed in the cloak or in the mantle of the prophet Elijah. So begins God's response to the prayers of Elijah for change, for justice to be administered in the northern kingdom. The goal is to see the kingdom of God established. Okay, So this is the goal, to see God's kingdom established. That's, that's what's working behind this. And we think, wow, if, if this is the way the kingdom's being established, it, it doesn't seem very effective or very successful. The goal is to see the kingdom established and then ultimately glory rendered to God. But it can only happen in God's way. It can only happen in God's timing. So Elijah sent to call a farmer to follow him in order to be trained. And the goal of that training is so that Elisha might be prepared to serve God as a prophet. Eventually, Elisha will take over for Elijah as God's leading prophet in the northern kingdom. Now, I say leading prophet because there was, there was a school of prophets, lots of prophets. Um, uh, but in terms of this kind of leading role, um, uh, kind of a, a prophet among prophets, this is going to turn, this is going to be Elisha's uh, role. The key sentence here is the second part of verse 19. And, and this is where um, we see this. Two things. First, Elijah passed by him. That's by Elisha. And then second, cast his cloak upon him. Now, it's, this language is interesting by the, the writer here um, because this, is, this language of Elijah passing by Elisha, this is the same language he's used just earlier in the same chapter. But earlier in this chapter, it wasn't a person that passed by. It was Yahweh who passes by Elijah when he's on Mount Sinai. And even that language there is meant to trigger an earlier episode when Moses is hidden in the cleft of a rock on the mount. And God allows Moses to see his glory, but not his face, kind of the, 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 the rear parts of his glory he's allowed to behold. And, we're, and that that. Um, uh, allowing him to see, allowing Moses to, to witness God's glory is described as God's just simply passing by him. So it's interesting. So here we have Elijah sort of in the role of God, you know, as he's passing by. And maybe this is just a sign that God open, is opening up Elisha's eyes so that he just sees maybe just a glimpse of the, the power of the Spirit at work in the great prophet Elijah. But so this language is just interesting. Perhaps more importantly, though, is this language, um, this kind of token, this symbolic action by Elijah, 
where he places his own cloak, you know, this, this mantle. He, he places uh, the, this cloak upon um, Elisha. And this is um, um, in earlier passages, um, for instance, in Judges chapter 6, um, verse 34, Regarding the judge Gideon, we read this. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. You see, Elijah, as a prophet, he was you know, one of those unique and um, privileged figures in the Old Testament that were privileged with the Spirit of God. You know, this was a privilege that was not granted to most ordinary people, uh, but was limited to prophets and priests and kings. And so Elijah's a man filled with the Spirit. And so what you have here, it's kind of like, you know, when we bring um, uh, new deacons and trustees, or I'm sorry, new deacons and, and elders forward to be installed and ordained. And that ordination is symbolized as other elders and deacons come up and lay their hands on them. Well, what's that meant to picture? What's being pictured there in this ordination service is this this idea that the Spirit is specially coming upon these leaders to carry out their offices, okay, in the power of the Spirit, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this is, you know, an... Uh, an Old Testament way of, it's kind of an ordination service, or at least a token of that the Spirit is going to come upon him. And so this mantle is just this picture of, in the same way that Elijah the prophet is clothed with the Spirit, so now this will be true of Elisha. And the Spirit of God is critical in the ministry that he is going to have. We, we see this um, more clearly a little later in Second Kings chapter 2. Um, and, and in this section, Elijah has, has gone to be with the Lord. We're going to come to this glorious exit where he's taken up into heaven in a, fire, a fiery chariot. And in that um, uh, chapter, we read this. And Elisha took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to one side and to the other. This is like, you know, another Red Sea parting. This is a Moses-level, you know, a miracle at work here. Um, and this was not lost on those who were witnessing uh, this miraculous event. When he struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. Now, when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, here's their conclusion, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him, and they bowed to the ground uh, before him. And so here we see, they, they understood the, the meaning of, of this cloak. That this was a, a symbol of the spirit's empowerment upon Elisha. The, the author, um, and, and what we're going to see is that, in fact, Elisha receives a double portion of the Spirit. He asked for this. And um, the, the, again, the way the narrative is written, Elisha is going to receive twice as much airtime as Elijah. He's going to, uh, you know, roughly, uh, you're going to see reports or an account of roughly twice as many miracles 
that the Lord works through Elisha as compared to Elijah. Now, Elijah's witness will not be exactly the same as Elijah's. Um, We might think, being clothed in the the clothing of Elijah, that Elisha's going to be this... um, this very public figure confronting, you know, kings and leaders and, and calling down even, you know, doing even greater miracles than calling down fire and bringing about a drought upon the land. Um, but in most cases, Elisha's miracles are not of this very public or dramatic variety. Elisha's uh, the, the man who's going to be much more local. He's going to be simply... Um, converting, you know, a poisonous stew and, and, and making it uh, good to eat. He's going to allow an axe head just simply to rise to the surface so that, you know, a, 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 a very poor family doesn't have to be sold into slavery. He's going to do healings and, and, and so forth for, for a lot of people. And so for the most part, the works of Elisha, well, put it this way, if Elijah's more like, you know, you remember when the Lord passed by? And first you had, you know, the F5 tornado wind, and you had the earthquake, and you had the fire. Well, that's Elijah. You know, he's, he is a son of thunder. And then you had the still, small voice, you know, almost like a quiet whisper. This is Elisha. Elisha is, is a, uh, he's working with great power and for great blessing, but it's far more local. And this then will ultimately serve in terms of our typology going forward, where Elijah, and the Old Testament makes this very clear in terms of its predictions, that one will come to prepare the way of the Lord in the spirit of Elijah. Well, this is John the Baptist, and Jesus confirms this. And then if you follow that typology, then what you see with Jesus is a ministry that's much more akin or similar to Elisha's ministry. He's feeding groups of people out in the wilderness. He's healing, um, you know, these individuals in certain locations. Um, But rarely is is Jesus, you know, he he doesn't call down fire. And even when his disciples say, you know, a town just rejects Jesus. What what do uh, James and John want Jesus to do? Okay, this is your chance, Jesus, just like Elijah. Call down fire upon them. Consume them. And Jesus said, no, that, that's, not, um, that's not my role. That's not my ministry. He's following more in the footsteps of Elisha. And as we think about this, well, how does this apply to us in our time, in our era? Well, one of the privileges of being in the New Covenant era, in this age Follow, you know, it's post-Pentecost, the age of the church, is that the Spirit is not relegated, it's, it's not um, limited to a select few privileged individuals. The Bible tells us this glorious truth um, that the Spirit of God is for all flesh. Peter, quoting the prophet Joel, says this, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants in those days. I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. 
That is, all of us are granted this privilege of being indwelt, being filled with the, the power, with the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And again, that's going to work its way through our lives individually, but especially as a body, as the church works together, as the church grows in unity, which the world hates, <laughs> as the church learns to serve God with joy, with obedience, with humility. Oh, the church is able to go forward and more, you know, I think God does raise up Elijah-like figures, but this is, this is not the norm. The norm of how the Lord works, the norm and the way in which the church witnesses is more like Elisha. It's more local. It's more particular. It's more specific. It's not national in terms of its grandioseness. It's personal. It's relationship by relationship. And it's hidden. And Jesus tells us this, that the kingdom of God is like yeast, you know, that leavens the entire loaf of bread. Well, can you see yeast working its way through a loaf? No, it's hidden from sight. And so much of the kingdom's work is exactly this way. It's just, um, you know, it's husbands loving their wives. It's wives uh, learning to follow their husbands. It's children honoring parents. It's, Jesus says, it's just offering a cup of water to those in need. And even that gift will not be in vain. And this is, this is how, how do we begin to address an apostate nation, okay? Well, we, we, begin, we, we follow the plan. The king has laid out a plan, and we begin to follow it, first by going to Sinai, by going to the Lord. We're worshiping, presenting our prayers and requests. And then as he leads us and fills us with his spirit, we go forth as witnesses, living out that um, uh, Christ life, embodied in the flesh, in the world, doing small things, not despising the day of small things. After receiving this calling from Elijah, a calling to be a disciple and a witness, Elisha gives us a really great example of the response that all believers, you know, whether it was in Elisha's time or in the time of, of, of the church, all believers um, need to make, if we are going to be useful, okay? If we're going to, okay, we can place our faith in Jesus and not be useful, which then you begin to question, did they really, you know, place their faith in, in Jesus? That's another sermon. But Elisha, what, what I want you to see is just Elisha's response to God's calling through the prophet Elijah, it's just really a, a beautiful response. And I put it here, if you're following your outline, in terms of a total commitment to his calling, but that really is just a piece of it. Okay, it's just a piece of it. God has sovereignly called Elisha to follow him. So God has initiated this, this relationship. We saw that God had already determined to use Elisha at Mount Sinai before Elijah ever shows up with the, the invitation at Elisha's door. This is going to happen. <laughs> but nevertheless, there is a human response here to God's sovereign initiatory, you know, his initiating action. Elisha shows us the kind of response that followers of Jesus 
need to make. And, and it's at least twofold. Uh, first, it's a willingness to be a follower, in this case, with Elisha, to follow Elijah. That's how he's going to follow God's calling, is by becoming Elijah's um, disciple. That's what he's, what he's going to do here. But it's also a willingness um, to make a wholehearted commitment um, to God and to his kingdom. And, and this is exactly what we must do. We must be willing to follow Christ as his followers, as his disciples, and we must be willing to do so wholeheartedly. When Elijah, um, uh, Elijah appears to Elisha, and we're told in the passage that Elisha is plowing. He's manning the 12th team of 12 teams of, yokes, of, of yoked oxen. That means, <coughs> excuse me, that means there are at least 24 um, oxen in this scenario. It's like 12 tractors. And there are at least 12 individuals, one for every two oxen, that are manning these plows. Elisha um, is on the 12th plow, and and he shows, you know, by being the last, probably that he's the one in charge. And later, as we see that he'll actually sacrifice the oxen, he shows that he's at least the owner (laughs) of those oxen and of that yoke. Um, And so, what I think we're understood, what we have here is that Elisha's either the owner of this farm or he is the son of the owner of Shaphat. And, um, and even in a lot of farms, scholars point out that some of these other teams may have actually been neighbors, you know, who are joining in to help with a, a plowing season. That may be true, it may not be. But even if that's the case, what we know about this farm is that it requires 12 teams of oxen to plow. This is a huge um, uh, farm in the ancient world uh, that would require this amount of uh, labor and of plows. That tells us that um, Elisha himself is either a very wealthy person or his family. And and in either case, um, that would mean that he would be the heir of of this, this pretty um, uh, uh, large and probably very, um, uh, relatively speaking, uh, well-off farm. Elisha is a wealthy individual, relatively speaking. And so in his following, his, his willingness to follow, he's, he's making a bold um, choice to leave this wealth, to leave this security behind. And then he asks uh, the prophet, can I go home and say goodbye? And, and Elijah offers this kind of strange and it's an enigmatic reply. But essentially, it sounds like what Elijah's saying is, yes, I'm not stopping you. Go and, and say your goodbyes. And what Elijah does, this is just simply to say goodbye. And he demonstrates this by calling the neighbors, the, you know, all the local community people for a huge banquet. It's going to be stakes for everyone. He, and, and the language isn't um, explicit here, but what I take it is that he takes his team of, it's not all, you know, 24 oxen here. It would be two, which would be a huge amount of steak, um, a huge amount of meat for this feast, for this banquet. And so this isn't just a, um, uh, Elisha saying, oh, 
I, I knew this could happen. You know, here, here it is. The, the call to go overseas as a missionary has finally arrived. Oh, what am I going to do? That's not his response. His response is immediately wholehearted. He is willing to leave it all behind. This includes not just the physical wealth, but even the affections, you know, the relationships that he has with his parents. He, he's going to be traveling. It's not clear that he's going to get back very often um, to, to be with his parents and family again. And even with this cost involved, um, don't forget that signing up to be a, um, a close associate of Elijah, uh, that's not the most secure uh, vocation either. Elijah is the most wanted man in all of Israel. They're out to kill him. And if you're connected with him, you know, are they going to make a distinction? Hey, I, I was only, you know, his, his servant, you know. Um, I don't know how far that's going to go with the authorities. This is a dangerous assignment. And nevertheless, you see um, this wholehearted willingness to go forward. He's burning his bridges. He, he sacrifices not only the oxen, but also the yoke. He's burning. He's not going back to that life, um, and he's going to celebrate it. It's, it's like he views this as a privilege, a, a, an opportunity to bless the neighbors. And so he calls them for this gigantic celebration, this wonderful feast, a banquet, and a party um, as he begins this adventure of following um, Elijah. And let me say, too, he doesn't start off as a great prophet, what we read here, the very last line is, then Elisha arose and went after Elijah, uh, Elijah and assisted him. Later, we'll see Elisha is washing the hands of Elijah. Well, what kind of job is that? That's the job usually of like a slave. Elisha is going forward. He doesn't know exactly what this means, but he's doing so wholeheartedly. He's, he's doing so with humility and obedience. This is really a beautiful witness to us of the kind of um, manner in which we should seek to follow our Lord Jesus Christ, to hold on to our possessions lightly, to use them as a blessing uh, for others, and to be willing to say, it's not just counting the cost, but it's actually a privilege to follow the Lord. You know, Elisha, without knowing it, it's exactly what Jesus um, describes in Matthew 13, 44. When Jesus tells this little parable, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. There are a lot of Christians like, okay, yeah, I, I will go. <laughs> I'll accept the call, whatever that call may be. But they do so as if it's a death sentence. What Elisha shows us is it's a privilege to follow the Lord Jesus, come what may. Regardless of the suffering, those who find their life, Jesus says what? They lose it. And those who lose their life by following the call, so to the word it looks like you're losing your life, what does he tell you? You find it. They find it. This is really, it's um, surprising, but this is the pathway 
to joy. And in the greater scope, again, understand what's happening here. This is God's plan for bringing change. This is actually God's plan for the blessing and establishment of the kingdom of God. And this is the plan that we need to follow. Well, let's pray. Our God and our Father, we are grateful. Lord, we are grateful for your many blessings. And we're grateful for the calling to follow Jesus, to take up our own crosses daily and follow him. Lord, may we do so with joy that we have this privilege of receiving a kingdom, receiving a treasure. And so may we honor you. May you be pleased with your children. And like Elisha, may you fill us with your Holy Spirit, with the Spirit of Jesus. Amen.